With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and let's call this a semi-emergency edition of the podcast as the official announcement came out Monday afternoon that Georgia Athletic Director Greg McGarity would be stepping down at the end of the year. I know you guys have all heard this by now. It's nothing crazy. It's not necessarily earth-shattering. In fact, it's nothing that I didn't know was going to come at some point this year. I've actually mentioned a couple of times throughout the year that he was going to retire at the conclusion of the 2019-2020 athletic calendar, but when COVID hit, he was uh, kind enough to stay on and help kind of navigate our program, our department through those tough times. But now as we've kind of gotten through that, at least the, the toughest parts of COVID, he is now stepping down. So not necessarily earth shattering, not necessarily surprising, but it's still big news when the man at the top of the entire athletic department steps down. And as a Georgia sports podcast, it's kind of something you have to cover, right? So I wanted to fire things up and record this episode yesterday when the news first hit, but I was honestly, uh, I wasn't expecting to record an episode yesterday and I was kind of just swamped with things to do and didn't have time to get to it. I thought about just throwing it in the mailbag with Charlie later this week because we got a lot of questions, obviously, about McGarity and him stepping down, but I just feel like at the end of the day, this news was a little too important to just throw in as a part of a mailbag. I felt it deserved its own standalone episode. So this week, we're going to push the mailbag back a day to make room for this episode. So look for the mailbag Wednesday evenings. Probably won't have that up for you this week. But today is all about Greg McGarity and the athletic director position here at the University of Georgia. And let me open by admitting, for some of our newer listeners, some of you have been with us for a long time, and you've heard me be critical of Greg McGarity. So I want to own that. I have been hard on Greg McGarity at times in the past, especially the first half of his tenure in Athens when we first started this show. I think this is the sixth football season that we have been running this podcast. And the the first couple years of this podcast, I was pretty hard on Greg McGarity. And I still stand by that. I still believe I was hard on him justifiably so. However, I'll also admit, starting with the hire of Kirby Smart, even if McGarity was not the driving force behind that decision, which he absolutely was not the driving force behind that decision, 
My opinion of him and the job he was doing began to improve pretty dramatically once Kirby Smart came on board, which isn't necessarily in line with how I think a lot of the rank and file Georgia fans still view him, people I hear from, uh, our fans who listen to the show. And look, I I know sometimes uh, the people that that listen to the show, you guys are the most hardcore of hardcore fans. So maybe we're all kind of removed from the average Georgia fan. I don't know. But I, I don't think my positive, my increasingly positive view of him over the past couple of years, I still don't think that's necessarily in line with how a lot of people view him. Because uh, to be frank, he's been a pretty popular punching bag for much of his tenure in Athens. You guys know that. But in totality, I just, I don't think that's entirely fair. There are absolutely plenty of areas and decisions of his that you can reasonably and justifiably criticize him for 100%. I've done that on this show and off this show. But I also think if you look at it fairly in a a balanced way, I think there are also plenty of areas and decisions that he has made that you can reasonably and justifiably also applaud him for. And I mentioned the Kirby Smart hire. Let's just start there. Look, again, I know that he was not the driving force behind the decision. That was kind of above his pay grade with some some high-flying donors who who got that done, some, some really big power brokers. But at the end of the day, Griffin Garrity's still the athletic director. He's the one who had to get the contract ready. He signed the paperwork. And at the very least, he was not an obstacle in getting Mark Rick out of the program and, and moving on from him. God bless Mark Rick. What a, a great guy still to the day. It's fun to watch him just be so happy on the ACC network. I love seeing that. But it was time to move on from Mark Rick as, as much as he did for our program. It was time to move on. And it, it, Kirby Smart was an outstanding hire, in my opinion. And at the very least, Greg McGarity was not an obstacle in that. You also look at going along with football, since Kirby's gotten here, we've seen a dramatic change in our football program. I know you guys have been paying attention. We've covered it on this show. Facilities upgrades is is the most visible part of that, but that's only the the, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but yeah, facilities upgrades have been dramatic since Kirby got here. And Kirby made that conditional upon his hire that we had to really up our game from a facility standpoint. And under Greg McGarity, this entire athletic department has seen over $200 million in facility upgrades. If you look at just football alone, since Kirby Smart got here, the West End Zone project most recently, or I guess the most recently completed project, the uh, indoor practice facility earlier when Kirby first got here, which was kind of already in motion before Kirby got here. And then right now we're working on the Butts Mirror expansion, weight room expansion, all that. Those three projects combined, we're talking about $170 million in facility upgrades over the past five or six years. He put almost $20 million in Stegman Coliseum. That And look, guys, I know Stegman is not a crown jewel of the SEC in terms of basketball facilities, but it, still, it kind of annoys me when I hear people rag on, on the Steg nowadays because it's not as bad as it used to be. In fact, it's not, it's a pretty solid Coliseum now. It's, it's not the top of the SEC, but certainly not in the bottom of the SEC. It's nicer and better than a lot of facilities. If you haven't been this deck in a while, guys, it's a totally new place. I mean, the exterior was the first part of that. Uh, really clean that up, made it look a lot nicer. Uh, then you've got the hanging scoreboard now, finally, which is which is a great upgrade. You've got murals all over the place. The concourses are wide and they're better. The seats have been replaced. It's a totally different place. And again, not the greatest basketball facility in the SEC, but it's still much nicer. And it's not, a, it's not an issue for us anymore. It's, it's a pretty nice facility. So I don't really like when people rag on that anymore. Once upon a time, yeah, absolutely. 
but I don't think so anymore. McGarry has played a big role in that. He's also expanded the size of the football support staff, which is something that was a long time coming. That's what we had to do to compete in the SEC. Our recruiting budget is tops in the country. Uh, going back a couple years, two years ago, it was number one in the nation with a $2.6 million recruiting budget, and the rankings weren't out for 2019 in terms of like ranking the entire uh, college football landscape. But our recruiting budget went from $2.6 million to $3.7 million. So you have to imagine, if we were already in the number one spot by quite a, quite a bit, but we had we were above the second highest recruiting budget by $250,000, something like that. And so then we increased it to $3.7 million in 2019. We're spending a lot of money on the most important part of our athletic department, which is football. And, the, and recruiting is how, you, is how you get where you want to go when it comes to football. You hire the right coach, which we did. Then you got to go out and get the best players. And you do that by increasing the recruiting budget. And look, he might not have spearheaded all these things, but again, certainly not staying in the way. And it all happened on his watch. So he, he deserves at least some credit there. Then if you look at baseball, Scott Strickland, that was his hire. He made the decision to move on from David Perno. Look, guys, I know that things got a little bit stale at the end for David Perno. But that guy was a game away from winning the College World Series back in 2008. I thought we had it, but we didn't, all right? Perno was a good coach for us, but he moved on from Perno and goes out and hires Scott Strickland. He was a pretty, I mean, he was coming from Kent State. It's not a huge name nationally, but he was a hot name at that time. And he goes out and he gets Scott Strickland the first couple years. I'll be honest. I was I was saying, what are you doing, Greg McGarity? There's another thing that I was criticizing for. It's a terrible hire. It's not working out. Four years in. Through four years, Scott Strickland was 15 games under 500 in his first four years at Georgia. But I got to give McGarity credit here. He didn't listen to crazy people like me. He didn't listen to the reactionaries. I try not to be reactionary. I mean, after one or two years, that's kind of reactionary. After three, after four years, I don't think that's reactionary. But he stood his ground. He stuck with Strickland, gave him another year, and Strickland has responded. The way he built his program, it's worked out because over the last two and a half years, we had two seasons. We had 2018, 2019, then half a year last year, not even really half a year, but kind of half a year. Over those last two and a half years, Scott Strickland's baseball teams here at the University of Georgia have been 47 games over 500, but a national seed both in 2018 and 2019, eight seed in 2018, a four seed in 2019, and we were well on our way to doing that again in 2020 before COVID hit. So gotta, he, he, you got to give Greg McGarry some credit there. Guys, he hires a guy, he sticks with a guy, and it is paying dividends right now. And if you look at track and field, I know that's not a super visible sport, but track and field is a budding monster right now at the University of Georgia. And he deserves credit for promoting Petros Kiprianu as our head track and field coach. He's responded with two national titles, put us on the map in the track and field world. And then you go get a guy like Matthew Bowling. We are growing into, we're not there yet, but we're growing into a, a college track and field power. That's awesome. Our annual athletic budget has increased from $89 million when he first got the job in 2010 to $153 million this year. Fundraising, the McGill Society, all of that has happened under McGarity's watch. The Reserve Fund, which is one of the things that I did criticize them for a long time. Like We had all these facility upgrades that we needed desperately. We needed to go out and, and hire coaches, expand their support staff. And the question always, where does that money come from? I say, we're sitting on this massive reserve fund. Why don't we just dip ever so slightly into that? But he would refuse to do that. He protected that reserve fund. And he got some he 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 got some criticism for that even again from me, but look the reserve against debt is not a new concept. I mean that's business one hundred and one. But still, like he didn't even didn't come up with the idea. He steadfastly stuck with the reserve fund and resisted the temptation to dip into it. it helped us obviously get loans, but also now in the COVID era, it's allowed our athletic department to be in about as good a position during COVID as any athletic department in the country. And going back to football again, guys, football is as healthy as it has ever been. 
at least in my lifetime. And that's probably, not probably, it is the biggest and most important part of that job. There's a lot of parts to being an athletic director, but making sure football is healthy. If you're an SEC athletic director, that is job number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, on into infinity. You got to make sure football is good. Football is healthy. And right now, football is healthy. And again, he, he wasn't the guy necessarily spearheaded Kirby Smart being hired, but he was part of that, didn't stand in the way, wasn't an obstacle, and look at where our football program is right now. But, but, while he's done some good things, as I just laid out, and he absolutely deserves credit in those areas, and probably some areas that I didn't even mention, some areas that I glossed over, some things that I don't even see, the fans don't even see, I'm sure he deserves credit there too. That has to be said, but there are also plenty of areas where, again, I think the criticism of him is justified. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Look at college basketball. Look at look at Georgia basketball. Let Mark Fox, who's a great guy, awesome guy, let him hang around for nine years in the job with only making one NCAA tournament. He finally made the move. I guess he gets some credit for making the move to get rid of Fox. But man, it, like the Hoops program was just marinating in mediocrity for so long. And the longer he waited to make that move, the tougher it was going to be for the next guy, which has been the case with Tom Crean. I mean, Tom Crean, I, I'm still giving him a shot here. The first two years weren't what we wanted, but again, I think when you let Mark Fox hang around for nine years and you kind of marinate in that mediocrity, it's going to be a tough job for the next guy. So that, I, I on some level, you, you should give him credit for making the move eventually, but waiting nine years after making only one display tournament, I mean, come on. That's, I don't know how you can defend that. And then firing Mark Rick, I think that was the right idea. I love Mark Rick, fantastic man, really good coach for us a long time. He did a great job, great job for us. But at the end of his tenure, it was time to move on if you want to get to that next step. It was. And I don't know if that was his idea. I, actually, I, I know it wasn't entirely his idea. He he was on board with moving on from Rick, but there were also big-time power brokers who were moving on from that. If you guys can read all the details of that in Seth Emerson's book that uh, we previewed earlier in the fall, he has a really does a really good job of kind of detailing how that all went down. So firing the Rick, firing Mark Rick, I don't think that was a that wasn't the wrong idea. That was the right idea that needed to be done. But here's where I think he went wrong. Firing him was the right idea, but the execution of that dismissal was almost unforgivable. Like you guys know what I'm talking about. You remember when he trotted Mark Rick out there like a beaten dog? That was unconscionable. And look, I know that Mark Rick is his own man. He, he could have refused to do that. But to even ask him to do that, to come out there and say, hey, we're firing you and you're going to sit out here and put a smile on your face, to even ask him to do that still gets me hot under the collar. I I, can't, I have a tough time forgiving him for that one. Um, and I also, like speaking of Rick, I also don't think he ever did enough to really support Mark Rick. The cynic in me would, would maybe even think that he undermined him intentionally. I look, And that's, that's the cynic in me. I'm not saying I really believe that, but like 
cynically, I think you can look at it that way, right? Because it's, it's weird, right? As soon as Kirby Smart gets the job, all of a sudden all these facilities are, are built. We expand the support staff. The recruiting budget goes just off the charts. Rick never got any of that kind of support. I mean, I'm not saying he never got any support, but the, I, I know he was asking for more support staff. I know he's been asking for an indoor practice facility for a long time, and he never got that. Eventually, it happened, but it, look, maybe it was part of that was Kirby Smart when he comes in, he makes it conditional upon him accepting the job that he expects this and this and this, and I know that also happened too. But the fact is, Rick never got that level of support, and I think Greg McGarity owns some responsibility in how stale our football program got towards the end of the Mark Rick tenure. Rick obviously bears a lot of responsibility for that, but I think you can also put some responsibility for that on Greg McGarrity himself for not supporting the program like it needed to be for so long. He was so resistant to spending any money to get our program where it needed to be to do the things that the Alabamas of the world were doing to get where they where they had gotten with Nick Saban. And then another thing I think he deserves some criticism for, and this is one thing that I did criticize him heavily for, is how he's handled NCAA cases. You know, especially with the Todd Gurley deal. Like, falling on the sword with Todd Gurley, with that whole fiasco, I mean, just not even bothering to put up a fight against the NCAA. And beyond that, just like the PR failures associated with that whole fiasco, that whole deal, I still can't get over that. It was just a complete disaster from... And athletic administration standpoint, in my opinion, if you look at how other programs have handled the NCAA and, and, and NCAA investigations and basically gotten off with essentially no punishment for far more serious infractions. And then another thing that just ate at me for so long, and I still shake my head even thinking about it, was our self-destructive personal conduct and suspension policies for so long. He took far too long to do anything. I know it's not just him. I know it involves the larger sense of of the University of Georgia. And of course, Jerry Moorhead has not been the president of the university the entire time that McGarity was here. You got Michael Adams, who was no friend of athletics. And I know that in some ways that's above his pay grade in terms of like the personal conduct policies and how long the suspensions are going to be. I get that it's not entirely him, but I think he had to be able to do something to make a bigger deal about that, to try to get that changed. But it just took far too long to get suspension policies for like the minor nonviolent misdemeanor offenses. I mean, we were so self-defeating for far too long compared to our peers in the SEC. I mean, for how long did we have the most punitive punishments for these minor like drug and alcohol offenses? Look, I'm not saying that's that's something to just sneeze at, but come on, guys. Like marijuana, smoking marijuana, like who is that hurting? That's just that's part of of youth culture. I mean, that that's just what happens. Trust me, I work with young people all the time, guys, and that's just kind of what the, what they do. And I know that you can say, well, that's not what they should do, but guys, it's a different generation. It's a different era. And uh, the idea that we were suspending guys for game, two games, however long for those minor things that players at other universities were not even getting any sort of punishment for, it just drove me insane. Like parking violations and guys getting suspensions for things like that. Like, oh my God, like what, what are we even doing right now? And yes, again, I know that was not entirely his doing, but it happened on his watch. It took way too long to get that fixed. And while he did do a great job of spearheading some facility improvements in football and in basketball, he also, you got to admit, allowed the facilities in other sports to degrade in a pretty serious way. Baseball, I know there have been some minor improvements there, but like compared to guys, if you've been to any of the, these other SEC campuses and seen their stadiums, like Foley Field, I mean, 
I know we love it, I think, but guys, it's not even close. It's it's certainly it might not be the worst in the SEC, but it's towards the bottom of the list. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, we were in Lexington a couple weeks ago for the Kentucky game, and they've built a, a, a relatively new baseball facility there. I think it's called Kentucky Proud Park, and it is awesome, right? It's, we're talking about Kentucky. Come on, come on, guys. We're better than that, right? Golf facilities for so long, the new clubhouses. He held the money up on that. I know you, you only have so much money. I get it, but. That was held up for a long time, and our golf program kind of went to the doldrums for a little bit. We're coming out of that now, but for a while, we were uh, not not really where we need to be as a golf program. And then nearest and dearest to my heart, outside of football, you guys know, is, is Georgia tennis, men's and women's tennis. Uh, my wife and I like to think that we're the biggest Georgia tennis fans out there. Like, I'm sure there's someone else that's a bigger fan than us, but uh, I will challenge you. I, I will challenge you to that if you think you're a bigger Georgia tennis fan than we are. We love Georgia tennis. Football's number one for us, but then tennis is right there behind that. And look, yeah, most recently within the past year, we had this $8.5 million renovation to the outdoor courts, to the Dan McGill Tennis Complex, the grandstand, the press box, the concourse. It looks fantastic, guys. It's awesome. It's really great. But it was almost too little too late. And we still desperately need a new indoor tennis facility. The Lindsey Hopkins Tennis Course, guys, what we have now is 40 years old. I think it was dedicated in 1980. Literally, it's 40 years old. And it shows, guys. I mean, we have four indoor courts, which I guess is more than some programs have. Maybe some programs don't have indoor courts at all, I guess. But guys, most of these programs now, they have six indoor courts, right? Because the way it works, guys, when you're playing singles matches, when you're in a college tennis match, when you get to singles, there are six singles matches. So when you are playing an indoor match, or if it starts outdoors, have to go indoors, you can only play four of those singles matches at a time, which means the matches last for like, they can last four or five hours. It's insane. And it happened last time we had the NCAA tournament here. It was very rainy the entire weekend. And it really messed with everything, the entire schedule. We had to start, start busting people to Georgia Tech to play some matches because we only had four indoor courts. And that's a big reason, along with some of the, uh, the, the outdoor courts, the courts are fine, but the grandstand was kind of falling apart a little bit. But the indoor courts were a big reason, in my opinion, why we lost the NCAA tournament in this last rotation. And that bothers me. We are the home of college tennis, all right? Georgia is the holy grail of college tennis, in my opinion. It used to, the championship should always be in Athens. Then it went to like every two, every every other year. And then now we don't have it at all for a four-year cycle. Now we did get it back in the next cycle in 2026 uh, by virtue of us making the, uh, the renovations to the outdoor courts and the grandstand, all that, which looks really nice. But that's still a long time away, and Greg McGarity let us, he let that happen in the first place. He let us lose the tennis national championships, which for most of you guys, I know that's not a big deal. But for me, for a tennis fan, that's annoying. It should not happen. You have what's been, what in my opinion, the most consistently successful programs on campus, men's and women's tennis. And you just kind of, I mean, the programs are still performing at a high level because we have incredible coaches and great talent and we have this brand, but it, it's just embarrassing when you let the tennis facilities, which used to be the greatest in the country, I think we're getting that we, we have the outdoor facility is the best in the country, uh, especially with the clubhouse for the men's and women's, but the indoor courts are not, and we need to fix that. We need to fix that, and he let that happen. So as a tennis fan, that bothers me. Um, and and the, I guess to sum up my criticism of Greg McGarity, it, it's this simple. I would just say he was entirely too reactive to things. Very rarely was he a proactive athletic director. And what I mean by that is he let things get to an untenable situation and then he would make a move. He'll make the move eventually. He'll make the move on Mark Rick after 15 years or whatever, make the move on Mark Rick or on Mark Fox after nine years. He'd eventually make the move. 
but almost to the point where it's too little too late. He didn't have that foresight, or maybe he didn't have the fortitude, one of the two, I don't know, to make some of those decisions until it was too late. And that was my problem. He wasn't dynamic. He wasn't forward thinking. He wasn't innovative. Um, he, he did some good things. As I laid out, I want to be balanced here. I think he did some good things, but my biggest issue with Greg McGarry through his entire tenure is that he was more reactive than proactive. I do think that's changed since Kirby Smart has gotten here on the job. I think Kirby's kind of lit a fire in the entire athletic department. And he, also the fact that he has the support of the big boosters, the big donors, that helps too. The power players in, in, involved in, in Georgia athletics, that helps too. And I think that's changed to a, a good degree. But for far too long in his tenure, McGarry, I think was too reactive as opposed to being proactive. And that's an issue that I had. So all of that is in his resume. There's plenty of good that uh, has put several of our programs in position for long-term success, but also plenty of bad that has handicapped some of our programs. Some programs have been consistently very good under his leadership. Some have. I mean, swimming is always really good. Men's, women's tennis through all the, the, the facility issues have still been awesome, right? And the, the women just lost. They were just the runners-up for the national outdoor championship last year and won the indoor championship. They've been rocking. The men um, were down for a year or two, but we have a great team right now. We were going to do big things last year before COVID hit. I think we're poised to do big things this year. Uh, but yeah, so we have some programs that have been really good under his leadership. And we have some that have been consistently like good, but but rarely great. And, and others have been perfectly okay. Like maybe women's basketball, for instance, recently. Um, our programs have combined for eight national championships under his leadership. We've got 42 overall, but eight under his leadership in the last 10 years, which is a solid number. It's better than a lot of programs and a lot of departments, a lot of universities, but we also have a lot more resources and a lot more built-in advantages, inherent advantages than a lot of those universities. So I think that number eight's good. It's better than zero, but that number should almost certainly be higher given those inherent advantages that we have. But all in all, on balance, I think he did more good than bad during his time here in Athens. You can disagree with me there. That's cool. Totally cool. You have a right to your opinion. But uh, I mean, look, again, I think football is as healthy as it has ever been at, at Georgia. And that means a lot. That carries a lot of weight, guys. When you're talking about a program in the SEC, a department in the SEC, uh, our financials are in far better shape than just about any department in the country. He deserves, a, he deserves a lion's share of that credit, in my opinion. And he's made a couple of good hires. You know, Scott Strickland, for instance, Petros is another one. Uh, a couple of poor ones, I think. And he's also let a few programs wallow in mediocrity for too long. Um, but he has made some advancements in facilities in the more visible programs, which I think has been a, a big help for those programs. But also, like I just laid out, the facilities in the less visible programs, maybe like tennis and golf, he's let some of those facilities decline for too long. Although you got to give him credit, tennis did get the upgrade for the outdoor course. But I'll also say this for him too. I, I And I do think this is important, especially coming directly after the Damon Evans fiasco. We've got to put this in context. Greg McGarry is a good dude, guys. I don't know Greg McGarry, but I, I know people that do that, that have had some interactions with him. And everything I've heard about him is that he's a really good guy that loves University of Georgia. And I believe that. He has represented the University of Georgia in a first-class manner. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's very well respected among his colleagues. And um, and I believe he's deserving of, of our respect as fans. It doesn't mean that he was perfect because he was not. But he loves the University of Georgia and he worked tirelessly on its behalf and we should applaud him for that and, and respect him for what he did, even if every decision wasn't always something we all agree with, which is life. That's life, guys. That's how that works. And he also deserves credit. I wanna, again, I want to mention this. He deserves credit for agreeing to extend his tenure beyond this summer. He wanted to retire. I told you guys like last offseason that he was going to retire uh, at, at the end of last season, uh, last athletic calendar year. But with COVID, he, he, he agreed to stay on 
President Moorhead asked him to, to kind of see us through this, and he did that. And so I appreciate his service, and I wish him the absolute best moving forward, and I mean that. But now we have to turn our attention towards what's next. And this is a big hire, guys. We are a major athletic department. We are a big-time athletic department in the SEC. And we are on the cusp of great things in many of our programs. Football's already accomplished some of those great things. We haven't gotten over that final hurdle, but we've come about as close as you possibly can without doing that. And again, I think football's healthier than ever. Baseball has built some real momentum. It doesn't really look to be slowing down anytime soon. As I mentioned earlier, men's and women's tennis have always been rocks for our athletic department, and both those programs are poised for both immediate and long-term success with, with two talented teams this season, two legends for head coaches, and two fantastic assistant coaches who I think will become fantastic head coaches and continue that Georgia tennis legacy for years to come. Track and field, Petros is building a monster there. Equestrian consistently has been among the elite swimming and diving. Jack Bowerly does Jack Bowerly things. We know what they do there. So a lot of our programs are in really good shape and poised to take the next step in and uh, achieve some incredibly great things moving forward. And so whoever we, need, we hire needs to be ready to lead those programs to take the next step like immediately because they are right there. And then there are some other programs that need to improve. And I think some long, hard looks need to be taken at the leadership of those programs. I'm not advocating for anyone to be fired right now or anything like that. But just, I, I think those programs and their leadership needs to at least, at the very least, be evaluated. I think at the top of that list, you have to have men's and women's basketball. I mean, women's hoops, guys. I mean, Joni Taylor, uh, again, she's a Georgia lady and uh, she loves this university. She works really hard. She does a lot of great things and mentoring those those young ladies. But it's a results business. And right now, I mean, she's made two tourneys in five years and hasn't gotten past the second round. And that's better than what Mar Fox ever did. But we also have a much better tradition women hoops than we ever had in men's hoops. Two tourneys in five years, not one time past the second round. And you compare that to her predecessor, Andy Landers, who, yeah, it was one of the all-time greats. I get that. But, I mean, prior to her taking the job, we had made the NCAA tournament 30 out of 33 years. We had made the NCAA tournament 20 out of 21 years before she took the job. The only time that she, that Andy Landers did not make the tournament in the uh, 21 years before Johnny took over was her, was his final year. But 20 out of 21 years, in those last 21 years, Landers made 12 Sweet 16s, program went to six Elite Eights, and had three Final Fours and one runner-up finish. And Joni has been okay a couple of years ago, we were good, but just not consistently good. And on, it's not just that our program hasn't been doing what it needs to do, but you've also seen a rival program. South Carolina has become a powerhouse in women's hoops. And Mississippi State, in, in the other division, although there's not divisions basketball, has become another powerhouse. Two teams, South Carolina and Mississippi State, have risen to become powerhouses. Like Tennessee, they've fallen off a little bit, absolutely. But then you, like we didn't step up and fill that void of Tennessee, which we could have. It was South Carolina. It was Mississippi State. Don Staley at South Carolina. And that's been frustrating to watch. I'm not going to lie. That's been frustrating. Softball is one of those programs that's been uh, consistently good. It's, it, it's a tough conference. It's the best conference in college softball. But uh, we've been good. It's not been good enough to really consistently compete at the top of the SEC. Uh, women's golf, Brewer, I mean, we haven't been great recently. And I don't know if it's time to make a move there yet. But again, you got to start evaluating some of these programs. So those programs, we're going to have to get those programs going. Each of them have great potential and uh, we need to get them on track to make our athletic department as as whole and complete and as competitive as we possibly can. So that's what's going to be facing this new athletic director, whoever it is. And the way I look at it, when you're, when you're trying to decide, like, who is it going to be? I, I think there's three general paths that we can pursue as a university here with this athletic director job, this hire. The first thing we can do is we can keep the job in-house, all right? 
The next thing we could do is we could go for the big name outside hire, make a splash, right? You can do that. And maybe the middle ground would be the third path where you go with an outside hire who has maybe a background at Georgia at some point in his or her past. So those are the three general paths that I think you can go down. I'm sure there's another other directions, but those are the three that I'm looking at right here. And let's talk about the benefits and drawbacks of each of those. Now, let's go ahead and start with like go for the big name outside hire. I understand the desire to want to breathe some new life into the department. I get that. You get to inject some fresh ideas. You get somebody in here that's going to shake the tree a little bit, get rid of some of the good old boys that might not be pulling their weight, that might have gotten complacent in their positions. Um, so I get that. That makes sense. But you have to admit, going for that big name outside hire without ties to George, without any familiarity with our program and our university, that also carries a lot of risk. They might not understand the culture in Athens, the people, the donors. They don't have those relationships built in that, that help get things done. Um, that can lead to clashes and infighting and sometimes outright rebellion. I mean, I'll just give you a couple high profile examples in recent years. Steve Patterson at Texas. They went and hired him. He had no ties to Texas. And that was a complete and utter disaster. Fired less than two years into the tenure. It was ripping the fan base apart. Um, just an absolute disaster. John Curry at Tennessee. You guys remember that that coaching search, right? The disaster of a coaching search when they tried to hire Greg Schiano and the fans rebelled. Well, he, again, he, he wasn't. You know, he he didn't he didn't know what how they were going to respond to some of those hires that he was floating out there, especially Greg Schiano. And then of course he got unceremoniously shown the door. Now he's at Wake Forest. He's a good court. He's a good AD and he's had success wherever he's been outside of Tennessee. But if you don't understand the people, the culture, you don't have those relationships that can lead to clashes, the infighting, the rebellion, and you don't want that. It's not healthy. It's toxic. You don't want that kind of environment. And that can happen with an outside hire. Um, but saying that some things do need to be changed or updated. Like there might be some things that need to be changed and need to be updated in how we operate as an athletic department. But I also say this place has a DNA, a certain DNA, and we do a lot of things right. I'm not saying that we're perfect and there's not some things that need to be changed and upgraded, but we do a lot of things right here at the University of Georgia. And a lot of times the hotshot guy brought in from elsewhere wants to come in and just clean house, wipe out every remnant of anything that came before them. It's kind of like an ego play. Like say, I'm going to put my stamp on this. It's all going to be about me. And sometimes that works, but a lot of times it doesn't. It can be really risky. Now, if you hire the right guy from outside, that could potentially be the best thing to ever happen to us. That's possible for sure. But I also think that route has the, the highest possibility of being a complete and utter disaster, a higher possibility of that than the other two paths. Um, then you have the, the middle ground, right? You, you go with an outside hire who might've had some previous experience at Georgia. And that's kind of intriguing to me. Um, taking a guy or a girl who's, or a lady who's worked at Georgia before in the past, but it also has branched out and gotten their own experience elsewhere. That's, it's interesting to me because that, that means that they, they should understand the landscape, at least to some degree, depending on how long they've been gone. They have some of the relationships with important people already built in, but they've also been outside Georgia and learned some new ideas, been exposed to some new and potentially potentially better ways of doing things elsewhere. So that's intriguing. And then, the, of course, the, the other option, the third option here would be to keep the job in-house. The benefits there are pretty obvious. Uh, it'd be that, you, that whoever that in-house hire would be would know and understand the current landscape in a way that outside hires just simply would not. It, it would make for a much more seamless transition. That doesn't. Let's be careful. That doesn't seamless doesn't always mean better in the long term, but at least it would be as rocky of a start, and it would I think leave us more equipped to kind of just hit the ground running 
and continue the trajectory that a lot of our programs are on, namely football, which is the big kahuna, obviously. Um, the in-house person, we already have relationships that are built in with, with a, an abundance of people, whether it's coaches, administrators, donors, board members, politicians, community leaders. And guys, relationships, you might just brush that off. I don't brush that off. Relationships are a big deal in this job. It's a huge part of the athletic director's job uh, and getting things done. So that's important when you're talking about potentially keeping somebody in-house. But there are some downsides. The potential downside would be, I, I think, uh, the comfortable hire, the, the person that you know, that comfortable hire, sometimes isn't always the most dynamic hire that might be in the long-term best interest of the department. That, that can be true in some cases. Now, sometimes it is the most, it is the right hire, but sometimes it's not. Uh, and it can lead to complacency at times where you're, you don't really have anyone evaluating the way we do things internally. No one's saying like, hey, there may be a better way to do this, right? Because we've been doing it that way for so long and it's been fine for us. But here's what I would say about this path, right? This is why I might go this direction. It might not be, it might not have the potential to be, have like the highest ceiling. Like maybe the highest ceiling would be like go for the big name outside hire. You could really hit a home run there. But I also would say it has the lowest floor of all the options. I think it has the greatest possible, it's the least likely to be an absolute disaster, a dumpster fire than the other options, in my opinion, because you know these guys instantly. They've been in, in the athletic department working in the administration for uh, however long. So I think those are the three ways you could potentially go. And and as for the specific candidates, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm some massive insider, that I know exactly who is on our list and what order they're in. Like I don't. I'm not a massive insider. I I, I know some people. I hear some things, but it doesn't make me an insider. Um, and But I, I have heard some names thrown around, the, the same names that I'm sure a, a lot of you have heard thrown around. And, and I'm happy to share my thoughts on what direction I would go with this hire, but take it with a grain of salt, guys. I'm just one person, right? Uh, but I, I do want to make clear also that I'm not operating with all the information that our search committee will be Athletic directors are uh, somewhat more anonymous to the average fan because they just aren't in the media as much as the coaches themselves are. And some hires aren't even necessarily directly from the world of college administration. So I don't have all the info and I'm not qualified to really make this decision, but it doesn't mean I'm not qualified to give you my opinion on it, right? That's what I do in a podcast. So I'm going to give you my opinion. My top criteria for this job would be number one, direct experience with big time college football because in the SEC, that's what drives the ship. That's the big moneymaker. And that's what's got to be the healthiest program on your campus, more so than anything else. You want all the programs to be healthy, but that's got to be priority number one. That's the moneymaker. That drives it all. Then I also want someone that has direct knowledge of the landscape of Athens and the University of Georgia in particular, and it has those relationships with key people. Someone who's a fit for the job, for the university, that that can can really just navigate through all the red tape and all the, the things that have to do with our university and our specific job here in Athens. And I also want someone who's forward-thinking and innovative, um, proactive rather than reactive, which again is something that I criticize Greg McGarity for. That Those are my criteria. And there's other things you got to look at too, but if you want just a couple things on the top of my head, that's the criteria that I'd be looking for in this job. So with that in mind, my top choice for the job would be Josh Brooks, who has served most recently as our senior deputy athletic director and will be taking over as the interim AD until a full-time AD is hired. And there's a couple reasons why I would go with Josh right now. And, and, and I, I reserve the right to change my opinion as more information comes available. But right now, he's the guy I would go with. Uh, and a couple reasons. I think he has a, a great knowledge of the landscape of this job of Athens, of the University of Georgia. He has relationships already built in with some really important people in involved in Georgia athletics. It's his second stint with Georgia. He has a degree, a master's degree from Georgia. 
And here's something that's really important. So that checks off that box, right? That checks off the box of like direct knowledge of the landscape of Athens and key people and all that. But he also has specifically intimate direct knowledge of football, of Georgia football. At one time, he served as Mark Rick's director of football ops. And most recently in his role as the deputy athletic director, or senior deputy athletic director, he's also been the sports supervisor for football. This guy has been involved in Georgia football for a long time. He left for a couple of years, he came back in 2016, but he he understands what football needs. He understands what it is. He understands how, it's, how important it is. He understands how it works. That's important, guys. That's the most important program on campus. Without that, the other programs don't exist. And he has direct, intimate knowledge of the operations of a college football program in general, and also the Georgia football program specifically. I also think he's done a great job really kind of upgrading our game day environment. He's been in charge of that for a while. You know, the LED lights that have been awesome, the the graphics around Sanford the past couple years, uh, concession stand improvements, concourse improvements, all that kind of stuff. He's really improved the game day experience. And, And look, the SEC has become an arms race, guys. It's been that way for a while. We know that. And that's going to continue to be the case for as long as I can, I can see out in the future. And Josh Brooks has been an integral part of our facility projects. And, and those projects, again, aren't slowing down anytime soon, including the one currently underway with the Butt Smear facility and that expansion, the weight room expansion and all that. He's, he's instantly involved in that. So you, if, you, if you remove him from the equation, he's no longer working at Georgia. Who knows? He might stick on. I don't know. But if he's the AD, that would really kind of keep that project in line and keep it on target and, and keep us moving forward in the right direction. And look, I also, I don't know Josh Brooks. Again, it's Scott McGarity. I, I never met Josh Brooks. I don't know him. But everyone that I do know around town here in Athens that has spoken of him or that, that knows him has spoken of him in uh, really glowing terms. They, they speak extraordinarily high of him. Um, and look, again, take that with a grain of salt because some of these people are in the athletic department and, and maybe it's in their best interest to say these nice things about somebody who might potentially be their boss in the future as their athletic director could potentially be. I mean, people have talked about this for a while. It's nothing new. His name's been out there for a while. But what I've heard from people, you know, people told me that he's sharp, he's engaging, he's personable. Uh, I've had a number of people tell me that, like, quote, he just gets it. I've had some people tell me that he's a star in the making, like those kind of things. That's what I've heard about Josh Brooks. And you look at his background, his resume, it, it's just a fit. Um, but the obvious downside here is a downside, a potential downside to every hire is that he does not have any previous athletic director experience. He does not. Um, and for a big time program, a big time athletic department, that's at least somewhat concerning. He's been around um, athletic departments. Obviously, he's been in, in, in athletic administration. He's very experienced in athletic administration. He's experienced here at the University of Georgia as a senior deputy athletic director. He's worked very closely with Greg McGarity on some of the most important parts of being an athletic director, but he hasn't been the guy in that seat making those tough decisions. And, and you don't know how a guy will respond to some of those decisions until you get there. Um, but I do know that Greg, or, uh, Jerry, Jerry Moorhead, our president, president of the University of Georgia, really thinks highly of him. He s- said recently when Josh Brooks was promoted to deputy, senior deputy athletic director, he said, quote, I have particularly relied on the leadership and expertise of Josh Brooks in advancing our many capital facility projects and envisioning the future growth and positioning of Georgia athletics in a rapidly changing athletic environment. He knows, guys. People trust him around our program, guys. Big time people, important people, power brokers. So ultimately, I think Brooks has the highest floor. I think he's the least risky. 
with a high upside. I think he can be a really, really good athletic director for us. I think he could, he could potentially be dynamic. We don't know that for sure. He hasn't been an athletic director, but I think based off what we've seen in his resume, the things I know in his background, I think he could be that guy that's more proactive, dynamic, innovative, much more so than Greg McGarity was. Again, he has built-in relationships with the key power players, intimate knowledge of what it takes to be successful in football at the highest level, and that matters when you're in the SEC and your entire department is defined, at least its public perception is defined by its football success. That matters. Uh, that's the biggest moneymaker that funds everything else. So keeping it healthy is a preeminence importance. And I think Brooks does that. He does all of those things. And I don't know if it will be him. There's some other options out there, but I think Brooks is the guy that I would go with right now. Uh, Jerry Moorhead recently, I think on Tuesday, had this to say about who we're looking at in terms of, of making this hire. He said, quote, we have some highly qualified administrators at Georgia who are ready and able to take on this role. So that would be like a guy like Josh Brooks and some other people as well. And he also went on to say, and the advisory committee knows that to be true. However, the committee will also be free to consider, get this, sitting athletic directors at other major universities who have significant experience managing college athletic programs. I've asked the committee to move with deliberate speed to ensure a successor is in place and ready to lead in the near future. So it sounds like we're either going with somebody that's in-house, that's been closely working with Greg McGarity for a long time, or a big-time external sitting athletic directors from somewhere else. Not somebody from the business world, the corporate world that has some ties to Georgia, a guy like Chris Welton or Frank Ross. Those guys who uh, have ties to Georgia, obviously played here at Georgia, have, have some experience in, in athletics in different areas, but haven't run athletic departments at the power five level or really any level. They seem to be out of running with that statement. Now, maybe that's just something that he's thrown out there. Maybe it's a smoke screen. I don't know. But just going off what Jerry Moore had said there, it doesn't seem like those guys would be options. I guess some other options would be like, like Carla Williams, who was a, a deputy athletic director here for a long time. She's been the uh, athletic director at Virginia for a while. They won the basketball national championship a couple of years ago under her watch. I guess technically they're, de- they're defending national championships in college basketball or champions in college basketball because there was no championship last year. So she's done a good job there. And I've always heard great things about Carla as a person, but I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't really want her anywhere near our athletic program. <laughs> Um, she was a big part of our policy of self-flagellation with the NCAA disputes and, and that entirely unreasonable punitive stance on very minor offenses. Again, not only her, not only Greg McGarity, but she was a part of that. She stuck with that. Um, and it's kind of a big part of that self-defeating self-righteousness that defined part of Mark Rick's tenure. And I think her and Virginia are good fits. I just don't think she would be the best fit here in Athens. She, she fits some of the boxes. I just don't think she checks off all the boxes. I think her and Virginia are a good fit, and I hope she has a lot of success there. Um, but there's some other people inside the athletic department. If you're talking about some internal options, Josh Brooks is the one that first comes to mind for me, but we got a guy like Matthew Borman, Darius Griffin. Uh, uh, those are some guys that, that are also deputy athletic directors that have an opportunity here. I just, from everything I heard, Josh Brooks is the guy that's name's been around for a while there. Um, in terms of current sitting athletic directors, like, and this is just speculation. These are some names I've heard thrown around. I don't know how serious these names are, but I'll just throw them out there because I've heard them. Rob Mullins at Oregon, Whit Babcock at Virginia Tech. There's some names out there, just speculation, nothing hard there. But if you're going looking at um, external options that, are, that run big time uh, athletic departments at the Power Five level, those are some names that I've heard. I don't know how serious, but again, Josh Brooks would be my first choice. Again, however, I, I don't know the list. I don't know who's interested. I'm not interviewing these guys. I just know what I would be looking for. And I think that Brooks checks all of those boxes. And let's be real, guys. Kirby Smart is going to have a say in all this. You'd be foolish to think otherwise. He and Josh, what I understand, get along well. Brooks understands football. He understands what football needs. He understands how it operates. 
him and Kirby have a good working relationship from my understanding. So I think that Kirby won't have, maybe have the final say, but will certainly have a say in this. And I think he would be an advocate for Josh Brooks in my opinion. So that's where I would go. And, and I deserve, again, I reserve the right to change my opinion as things, as names start to emerge and we see who's really serious and who's a contender for this job. But right now I'm going to say Josh Brooks. And of course, we'll continue to cover this as news continues to break. But I want to make sure to get on here and cover that today, guys. Thanks for listening to me. Uh, we'll be back later on this week with the mailbag episode. Then we'll wrap things up with our picks of the week. So you have that to look forward to. But I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>